our Bible reading. First of all, Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going to read the first couple of verses, and then we're going to read from verse 11 as our main reading. So page 1049. So this is what God's Word says right at the beginning of chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him, that's Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told the story of the lost sheep And then you see from verse 8, the parable, the story of the lost coin. And then we pick up the reading at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. While When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. So he, But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. We trust that God will bless his word to us today. Well, we're going to take a little time just to look at that story that we read earlier, earlier on in the service, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Uh, if you have a Bible handy, you might want to have it open. It's uh, Luke chapter 15. It's page 1049 of the Pew Bibles. Everybody loves a good story. And uh, sometimes we learn things whenever we learn them through a story. We remember them maybe better than we do if we learn them in other ways. And Jesus often used stories sometimes to illustrate some of the things that he was saying, sometimes to sort of filter out those who were only casually interested compared to those who were really genuinely trying to, to grasp spiritual truth. 
And, and sometimes the, the, the stories that Jesus told functioned, as somebody says, like stealth bombers that sort of carried their payload behind their def- people's defenses so that suddenly they begin to see themselves from God's point of view uh, in ways that perhaps they never imagined that they would. And this morning we're looking at perhaps one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told, uh, the story of the prodigal son, but also the story of these lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost uh, sons. And we're going to think about this chapter, really, with this theme of hope. We've been thinking about rescue this week. If somebody needs a rescue, they are losing hope. They, they are hoping that somebody's going to step into their situation. And in those people who were with Jesus in those days, there were those who felt that they were really without hope, that God didn't really have any interest in them. And certainly there were those who were telling them that. And Jesus makes it clear that he comes to bring hope uh, to everybody. And so we're going to just ask three simple questions as we uh, navigate our way through this chapter. Uh, What hope does Jesus bring? Here they are. What hope does Jesus bring? Who is hope offered to? And how is hope uh, received? So first of all, what hope does Jesus bring? I don't know if it's a common cry in your house, but in our house you often hear, have you seen my keys, wallet, dog, whatever it might be? Uh, and usually it's me who's, who's saying that, and we, we all know what it is to, to lose something. And in the stories that Jesus told in this chapter, they are tied together by this theme of, of things getting lost. There is a sheep, first of all. The sheep has wandered off from the shepherd. It's a large flock of a hundred, and one has become lost. Uh, no fences, sheep uh, wandered in common grazing. And it would have been a, a fairly familiar occurrence, I'm sure. And people who were listening would have understood about sheep getting lost. Then, then there's the story about a lost coin. And here it's a, a coin from a set of 10. And it may well be that uh, these silver coins were, were worth a fair wee bit of money. Uh, and, and so it was very, very valuable. But it also might have been that it was a part of a, a, a jewelry, a headband that was used by a woman rather like an engagement ring. And so it was really, really important. And so this woman loses this coin and she sweeps her floor. It wouldn't have been an easy place perhaps to find it. Maybe not much light in the house and so on until she finds the coin. And then there's a lost son, a story we know so well. Here, the son is lost by choice this time. He asked for his share of the inheritance. And a, ter- a, a terribly rude thing, it was really like saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I can't wait to get the money that's coming my way. And he goes off and he wastes the inheritance. So, so three lost things, a sheep, a coin, a son. And Jesus is making the point, of course, that people are lost. What does it mean to be lost? Well, it means to be cut off from where we should be. The sheep was not with the flock. The coin was not with the set. The son was not in the family. And, and, and Jesus is saying, of course, the illustration is very clear, uh, that we are not where we should be as people. People are made to live in fellowship with God, and we're not. So you might, if you grew up within a Presbyterian church, you might have learned the catechism. You might remember that first one, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, we're made to live in fellowship with God, made to know God, but left to ourselves, we find ourselves out of that relationship lost. 
And the Bible says that brings all sorts of consequences. It means we don't know God as we could or should in our lives. He's a stranger to us. He's distant to us. His real help and strength is not immediately available. His guidance is not there for us. But, but perhaps the biggest implications are not in this life, but in the next. Because to be cut off from God in this life means to be cut off from him in the next life. And that's a terrible prospect. So what hope does Jesus bring into this situation? Well, in the stories, you'll see that each of the items is found. The sheep is found by the shepherd who leaves the 99 and and searches. The coin is found by the woman who lights the lamp and, and sweeps the floor until she finds it. And the son is found by the father who watches and watches, waiting for him to come home again. And each of the stories ends up with uh, the, the item back where it belongs, as it were. And Jesus is clear. What he offers is the possibility of lost people like us being found. People cut off from God in restored fellowship with God. That's the hope that Jesus brings. That's why he comes into our world. We don't deserve this, but Jesus is the one who brings it for us. So that's the first thing. What hope does Jesus bring? Who does he offer hope to then? I'm sure, like me, you've, you've been somewhere where you just feel terribly out of place. Maybe you're not dressed as you should. A couple of weeks ago, Sam and I had a couple of days in London, and uh, we had a, a tour of Downing Street. And, and uh, 15 minutes before the tour was due to start, we were walking up, uh, up Whitehall towards Downing Street, and I happened to look down and realized I'd spilled an ice cream all down my trousers. And, and uh, do you know how hard it is to get your trousers washed in the middle of London? And, and I, I ended up going into a little bathroom. And, and then you know how hard it is to get your trousers dried in the middle of London? So anyway, I, I turned up in, in Downing Street. We knocked the door and in we went. And, and uh, I felt everybody's looking at these slightly damp trousers and, and felt so out of place. It was, it was incredible. Well, if we think that our society is in any way stratified, then in Jesus' day, it was incredibly stratified. On the one hand, there there were sort of three groups. On the one hand, there was the incredibly religious people. And in the middle, there were sort of the ordinary people. And then at the the bottom of the heap, as it were, there were what people called the sinners. and And the religious people really looked down on the sinners. And they made it their business to avoid all contact with them. In fact, they would have crossed to the other side of the street if they'd seen someone with a disreputable character and and they'd have wrapped their cloaks tightly around them so they wouldn't have to touch somebody like that in a crowd. And they thought of the sinners as people without hope, people that God wouldn't be interested in. And, And yet these religious people were then scandalized whenever they saw Jesus not only being in the same place as these sinners, but associating with them and even eating with them. That's the whole point in verse 1. They, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response to that, Jesus tells these three parables. Jesus is very, very clear. He says that there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. And he's driving the point home to them that God is a God who seeks lost people no matter how lost they are. Like a shepherd who seeks 
his lost sheep. So God goes out to those who are in the wasteland. Like a woman searching for the lost coin, God seeks out those who are lost. Like a father watching for the lost son. So God watches out for the lost to come to him, no matter where they have been. And Jesus puts these stories back to back, one after another, in an attempt to get it into their heads. This message is for everyone. This message is for everyone. This message is for everyone. It must have been wonderful for those who gathered around Jesus that day to hear that because most of their lives, they'd have been made to feel that God was not for them. That, that if they were ever to come near to God, they would have to climb so many hills and, and, and sort themselves out in so many ways. But, but now Jesus was here saying, yes, yes, of course you're lost, but not without hope because you can be found. I don't know if any of us might ever have felt like that. Maybe we do now. God is not for me. He, he wouldn't be interested in, in me. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I've, I've gone too far. I've, I've burned my bridges. I've, I've done something that, that there's no coming back from. I think this chapter says to us really, really clearly there is hope for all people. Jesus is for you. But of course, Jesus was making a very clear point to these religious people as well. And that was that they needed him too. And, and that's particularly shown in the way that the story finishes, the story of the lost son. Because actually, there are two sons who are lost because the story ends with the elder brother who sees his relationship with his father as one of a, a grudging, obedient, slave-type relationship. He's standing outside the great party as the celebrations go on inside. And they might not have realized it, those religious people, but they were strangers to the father's love. They were watching people they despised, the sinners, finding God and yet they need it to be found by God as well. You see, sometimes it is our very goodness. We might not think like this. Sometimes it is our, well, really our perceived goodness that can be the thing that keeps us from God. You ever think of that? It was for these religious people. They, they, they felt that God was pleased with them because of their performance, and so they never really sought a savior. Their goodness was actually an attempt to manipulate God. They were trying to put God in their debt so that they would say to him something like, I've done all this stuff, now you owe me. Most of us have probably said that sooner or later. We said, we've done this, now I deserve something from you. Well, lots of people like that today. They say, I I'm as good as the next person. I've never done anybody any harm. And we think, of ourselves as reasonably decent sort of people, and yet sometimes it's that very self-perception as a reasonably good person that actually keeps us from God and keeps us lost. But Jesus, you see, offers hope not only to those who are far away, but also to those who are near, to those who are religious people, because he offers a way for them to be made right with God, not, not based on futile self-effort, but based on trusting him. He knows that actually we're never going to be good enough for him. We need to be found by him. And the tragedy was that so few of the religious people on that day 
saw it. By and large, they carried on rejecting Jesus, trying to impress God with their good lives, but there was no hope in that. It's such a snare, isn't it? That, 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 that all of these things that are such good things, coming to church, being a good neighbor, turning over a new leaf, all of those things that are so helpful can be something that dulls our need for the Lord Jesus because our only hope is in this Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is hope offered to? It is offered to all, to those who are lost and far away, to those who are lost and near. All need Jesus. Last thing, just in a word, how is this hope received? Well, God doesn't treat us as puppets. What he offers to us does not become ours without response on our part. And these stories bear that out really, really clearly. In the first two, the sheep and the coin, it is God who does the seeking. The sheep is passive. It makes no move to return to the flock. In fact, if any of you have ever worked with sheep, you'll know that a lost sheep has to be really captured and and sort of hauled home. If you find a, a lost dog, for example, there's a chance that he'll follow you home, especially if you've got a biscuit. But, but, uh, but a sheep really needs to be sort of captured. In that sense, it's passive. The, the coin is also passive. It's helpless. It must be found by the woman. It makes an important point. It is God that seeks us. That's one of the things that, that sets Christianity apart from everything else that's out there. Other religions, for example, have a God who, who waits almost indifferently for people to find him. They teach that if a person seeks the truth hard enough or long enough, then they might find God. But Christianity is so different. Our God seeks people. He comes for us. So often how people begin in the Christian life, isn't it? They become aware that God is seeking them. A whole series of things begin to happen in their lives, and they suddenly become aware that they are not just on their own, but that God is there. He is, as it were, haunting their steps just behind them, tapping their shoulder. So many folk have told me of experiences like that. I just can't quite get away from the sense that he is seeking me. But, but that's not the whole story because we must respond. And that's brought very clearly to attention, our attention in the last story because it's the, the son who has lost and he needs to come to his senses and go to his father. It's actually the same for these Pharisees that are talking to Jesus that day. When Jesus tells them of the father coming out of the party and pleading with the elder brother, you see what he's doing? He's saying to them, religious leaders, God is pleading with you to come in. Don't stand outside. Don't stand back while others enter. You come in yourself, won't you? It's quite remarkable when you think of the picture. Here are the people who Jesus knows at this stage in his life who are conspiring against him and will be responsible for his death. These, these leaders who will make sure that he is nailed to a cross. And Jesus knows that. And yet, what does he do? He says to them, God is seeking you to come in and not be lost. So you see, taken together, these parables tell us the whole picture about becoming a Christian. And that is that God seeks us and we must respond. 
And the response that we need to make is told to us here as well, where Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Uh, To repent simply means to turn around. We thought about that a couple of weeks ago. To, To turn around from going our way to beginning to walk God's way. To, to say to God, I've, I've been in the wrong here. Like the prodigal, I've been more interested in the things that I can get from you rather than in you yourself. Like the elder brother, I've been denying that I, I really need a savior. Like, like the sheep and the coin, I, I'm, I, I'm lost. And so I'm turning from that way and, and I'm gonna come to you. And we're told that when that happens, there's great rejoicing in heaven. Some of us maybe feel that we need hope today. Ultimately, it is Jesus who offers hope. He's the one who offers the hope of lost people being found by God. People put right with him, back where they belong, brought home. And that hope is offered to all. No one gone so far that they are excluded. No one's so good that they don't need it. But it doesn't come to us without our response as we come to see that there's a Father who loves us. Do we sense Him seeking us sometimes? Sense Him sweeping the floor looking for you? Sense Him walking the hills calling your name? Go to Him as He comes for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who seeks. Lord, if it was left to us to climb our way to you, to find our own way to you, we would have no hope. But we thank you that because you are the God who seeks, because Jesus has come and died, we have hope. Will you come to us, we pray, and will you help us to come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.